going to start today with scripture. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to be good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of real life. The word of God for the people of God. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and I'm a recovering money addict. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. As a money addict, I like to earn a lot of money. I like to save a lot of money. I like to see my money grow. I don't like to lose money or spend money or give money. (laughs) Uh, Also, as a money addict, uh, you know, I know we we shouldn't love money, and I've never loved money, but there have been times where I've hated money, and money has actually been my master because I let it control so much in my life. And so for, for me, it even started as a little girl. I was born with the heart of a money addict. <laughs> I was, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was little, I remember the story of Solomon where he prayed that he could have wisdom so he could lead the people wisely. And God rewarded him with wisdom and riches. And I thought that was a sweet deal that I, you know, I'm going to pray for wisdom as a little girl, not because I cared to lead anybody wisely, <laughs> but because I wanted to be rich. And, and that's my early memories. And since then, I've tried to read the Bible many times, many times, started through it. And every time I'd read something that I didn't like, I just put it away because I just couldn't make it through it, either because I was condemned by what it said or because I was in denial. And oh, this doesn't even make sense to me. And so this time... I, read, I was reading, looking for references to money. Uh, money's in the Bible a lot. And this is about 100 references that I have marked, but there are sources that say it's in there from 100 to 800 to 3,200 times, depending on how you count it. And, and so that tells me that maybe I'm not the only person who has a problem with their relationship with money. Maybe there are other people who have this same issue. And I'm not going to... I would love to read all 100 of these to you, but (laughs) we don't have time. Uh, But I'm going to hit some of the highlights because it's really spoken to me on this journey and helped me see where I was going down the wrong path. Uh, In 1 Timothy 6 also, it says, But people who long to be rich, that's me, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I told you, I've never loved money, but I spend a lot of my energy in life trying to make more money, trying to please the people who paid me, Uh, giving up time that I could have and should have spent in other ways. How much time did I spend balancing the checkbook, looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, checking out my stocks, putting together a forecast, trying to figure out how to invest my money so I would have enough money for the bills and the kids and retirement and all the things that we do. And how little time comparatively did I read the Bible 
Did I have fellowship with my friends? Did I even spend time sometimes with my family? Because sometimes my desire to do good at work took over all of that. And that's not necessarily what we're called to do, I've learned. (laughs) Felt good at the time. Felt good at the time. In Hosea chapter 6, he warns the foolish people lounging in luxury that they will be the first to be led away as captives. And he says, suddenly all of your revelry will end. And I'm like, that is, that is not a good uplifting verse. <laughs> but I'm not rich. I'm not the foolish person lounging in luxury. I'm not the person who makes so much money that they can just fly everywhere and not work and do all the cool things that you get with being rich. I mean, my car may have leather seats and it may have seat warmers and it may have one of those sunroofs. And it may have a phone that connects to it, so I don't even have to do anything. Um, But I bought it used, so that's not me it's talking to, right? (laughs) Okay. Maybe it is me we're talking to. And then in Luke, there's a group of soldiers in Luke. They're talking to John about how to, to get to the kingdom of God. And he said, how do we get there? And John, one of the things that John says to them is, be content with your pay. Okay. How many of you have always been content with your pay? And don't lie to me. <laughs> because I know. I mean, I remember my first job that was a part-time job. And even if you put it out for a year, you know, annualized it so you figured out my yearly salary, it was less than $12,000 a year right in there. And I was not content with that. <laughs> and I remember a manager at our same company that I knew to make $75,000 a year. And I remember thinking... Man, if I could only make $75,000 a year, that would be fabulous. Everything would be perfect. I worked a few years. Every time, you know, I'd, I'd work really hard. If I didn't get a raise or a promotion, I'd try for a different job. And so I'd finally worked myself up to where I made $75,000 a year. And you know what I said? Man, if I could only make $100,000 a year. And I worked... Made 100000 Man, if I could only make 150000 and so on and so on. And at one point, I did sit back and go, I, am, I make good money. I'm doing okay. I, I've worked really hard, and I deserve it. Here comes Hosea again. And Hosea said, this is where, you know, Israel is always running from God, and God's saying, come back, return to me. You need to quit following all of your other idols. And... And this is where Israel boasts, I am rich, and I did it all by myself. And I'm thinking that sounded an awful lot like me saying, I make pretty good money, and I deserved it because I earned it. (laughs) And the rest of that verse is where God comes in, and he says, I am the Lord your God. You know it's never good when he starts with, I am the Lord your God. And I rescued you from slavery out of Egypt. And I will make you live in tents again if you don't return to me. And that's where I'm sitting there thinking, man, did the the revelry end? The party is over. (laughs) This is not right. And so those are kind of the the background of my relationship with money before we even start talking about giving. (laughs) So now giving, it gets much worse. In the Old Testament, you have the concept of tithing where it's the tenth, the first fruit, where you're supposed to give right off the top what you get 10% to God, which is supposed to pay the teachers, 
The New Testament reaffirms that we're supposed to pay the teachers. The people who teach us about God, we're supposed to pay. But 10% seems so harsh in the Old Testament. Oh, but wait, there are sin offerings we're supposed to be giving and guilt offerings that we're supposed to be giving. I mean, I know that probably doesn't apply to any of us in here because we have no sin and guilt. (laughs) I got it. But (laughs) there are also other offerings that it talks about that you're supposed to take a whole other tithe, another tenth, to uh, go on religious journeys and educate yourself and get closer to God. Not vacations, not where you're just like, I'm out of here, I'm going to go take a break. But for the festivals that they had in the Old Testament, you were supposed to take a tithe for that. And then you were supposed to every three years take a whole other tithe and just give it away to the poor. And if you add that up, that's 25% a year almost, before taxes. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing amount. And I'm like, okay, we're not, we don't have to follow the Old Testament exactly. Jesus has saved us for all that. I'm going to go read the New Testament and what it says about money. Again. <laughs> Here are my references. And it's not prettier in the New Testament because the scariest story is in Mark 25. To the scariest story to me. It's the parable of the rich man. And the rich man comes up and says, Jesus, I got it all down. I don't commit any sins. I follow all the commandments. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And, and, of course, the rich man, like me, walks away very sadly going, sell everything I have? I worked really hard for it. I'm not giving it away. And, and Jesus says, that's where he says, it's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle than the rich man to go to heaven. And even the disciples at that point are like me, disheartened, going, how does anybody make it? And that's where Jesus says, anything is possible through, through God. And I remember knowing that anything is possible with God, but I never associated it with the rich man parable because, you know, we get little snippets here and there until I read it myself and put the whole story together. Anything is possible through, through God. And there's a little bit more about my story before, of the history before I talk about the good things that God has done. Corinthians 9, 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly in response or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Okay, that was like it for me. I do not give cheerfully. <laughs> don't give reluctantly in re- or in response to pressure. I only give reluctantly or in response to pressure because I'm not. Tiffany was sharing earlier that people came, gave food, they gave money, and they helped her. I wasn't that person. I mean, maybe if someone had called and given me a little pressure, I would have known to do it. But otherwise, it's not my natural person. And then you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And my heart's screaming, keep it all for the future. Keep it all. That's, so, you know, my conclusion is, is, then does God not love me because I don't give cheerfully? And what I know is that he still loves me in spite of the fact that I was born with the heart of a money addict. <laughs> and... These are things that I have to work through. And so some of you may remember a few years back that I was on the finance committee. And it was my first year to put together the budget. And I had to come up and talk to you all about that. And you all probably thought then that I had my stuff together when it came to money because I didn't look like I had problems, right? <laughs> That's, we all go through it. And 
I had to put together the budget, and we were at a really bad time in the church's financial history because the year before I took that position, the finance committee had to make terrible budget cuts because the economy had gone south, and people had lost their jobs, and people were moving to find employment, and we just weren't doing well. We actually had to even restructure the mortgage at that time to be able to make the payments, the, p- the committee before me. And I'm supposed to put together this budget <laughs> based on, if you're in the business world, you do it based on trends and history and what you think is going to happen. But how do you know the history when it goes so crazy? The, the trend wasn't there for me to map. And so I put together all the things that we had prayed for because we had some big God-sized goals that we were putting in that budget. We had the 10% in outreach that we wanted to give. We had to be able to pay the bills. We wanted to expand programs so we could reach more people with the good news. And when I added it all up, did all my scrubbing, did everything I could possibly do to the costs, we were $180,000 short. And I'm sitting there in the back room feeling a little queasy, <laughs> feeling a little not, what do you do about it? And there's nothing I could really do. I didn't really have the 180 to give. Um, so I couldn't make it up even if, you know, even if I were drawn that way, I <laughs> couldn't. And so finally it got desperate enough that I prayed. <laughs> Sounds crazy, I know. <laughs> I prayed to God about money. And it's really easy to take a leap of faith when it is not your bank account. <laughs> So what if the church doesn't make, right? I'm still got a home. I mean, I'm not that jaded. But at the same time, I, I, didn't, I wasn't the one who created where we were. I couldn't own all of that. I recognized that. So I reached out to God and said, you know, we've prayed about these goals. This is where we think you're calling us. You've got to help me here because I can't make the money come in. And you need to either... Show us that we're on the right path by giving us the, the giving commitments that make this up. Or you need to help me see where we need to cut because we don't know what the path forward is otherwise. And that was my prayer. It was fairly simple. And Pastor Laura called and asked what every good pastor would call and ask at that time. How's the budget going? <laughs> and instead of giving her a nice, neat spreadsheet, like you should expect from an accountant, I said, you know... It's early yet, and you should pray. Now, how do you think she felt? (laughs) You should pray. And, And she did, and we did. And what was amazing to me was the response. Because we didn't come up here and say, people, we're 180,000 short. We said, God, help us see what the path is. And God moved you all to give money. And for me, it wasn't about the giving of the money as much as me seeing that God was in control because I didn't do anything to balance that budget. He gave us more than 180,000 than what we he gave us more than what we needed. And it was such a clear message to me that I'm not in control of money. Money is not the thing that needs to be ruling my life because the reality is when you turn it over to God and you pray about what you're supposed to be doing and he's leading you in a direction, he's going to provide. And there's there's You can pretend that you have control over it, but the reality is you don't. He's in control, and he is amazing. There's a verse in Malachi that really says it for me. And it's where the same thing, those Israelites, those Israelites, good examples for us, they were still trying, not, not repenting and not following God's way, and, but they didn't know it. And, and God was saying, return to me. And they were saying, how have we ever left you? 
And he's going, you're cheating me out of my tithes and offerings. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty harsh. But what he follows it with is, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord Almighty, and this was in a good way, says the Lord Almighty, I will, be, I will open the windows of heaven to you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. That's what God is saying. Try it and let me prove it to you. And so I'm reading this and seeing what, the, what happened with the church. And so I decide to be a little braver in my personal life. We were going through troubles at work. My husband wasn't working. I was the sole breadwinner. There's a lot of pressure with that. And I started praying about it. And I started having God be the center of my life as opposed to money. And I even felt compelled with all of the great things we were doing at church. I just felt like giving more. And at this point, we're giving so much as a group. My little piece rolls up with everybody's piece. Big pieces, little pieces, all the pieces together roll up. And we're giving eighty dollars to $100,000 a year in outreach. Whereas five years ago, we were barely giving $1,000 a year to outreach. <laughs> we weren't even, yeah, it's amazing. And we're about to complete a wonderful new building with little to no debt because of what we've been able to do together when we turn it over to God. And for me, it's been such a good lesson as an imperfect person, even though that's questionable sometimes, <laughs> whether I can admit it, is to, to experience God's perfect love through me as an imperfect tool, as the accountant, um, and through the congregation. And, and it's changed my world forever and we're changing the world together forever. And it's been an amazing blessing to me. And I wanted to share that with you. And so at this point, I would like to close with prayer, if you would join me. Father God, you are amazing. You have blessed us in so many ways. And we are grateful. We belong to you, along with all you have given us. Guide us to take hold of the real life that you give us through faith, love, and generosity. Lead us where you want us to go. Make our paths clear and let us hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.